and welcome to the latest edition of the Digital CXO Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bizard, and my guest today is Mitch Ashley, Principal Analyst for TechStrong Research and CTO for TechStrong Group, publisher of DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, TechStrong TV, and of course, Digital CXO. Hey, Mitch, welcome to the show. Awesome to be here with you, Mike. Always a pleasure. I'm not sure that I ever thought I would live to see this day, and maybe I'm just noticing it for the first time, but we've had an actual CEO get fired, apparently, because the software that he was counting on for the business wasn't getting delivered on time. We're, of course, are talking about the CEO of VW. And my question to you, Mitch, is A, does this surprise you? And B, if this is going to be a trend, how many more CEOs are going to get fired? Well, usually it's the uh, job of the CIO to you know fall on the sword and get fired, right? In these cases, I, I wonder, I don't know if this is going to happen a lot. I, I wonder partially because VW, of course, has the history with the diesel engine and the software, you know, for the testing and all that whole fiasco. Maybe that, you know, it made the CEO get fired, fall on a sword or whatever. But what it, what it made me think of is, a lot of things in our world are evolving into what from what they are to a software platform. And that's what a car really is. It's an edge platform for software. I mean, yes, it's a transportation vehicle and leather and all, all that nice stuff. But you can't treat it as it's a car with some software in it. I mean, it the software and runs the whole thing now, especially an electric vehicle. And kind of that's where it's all moving. So Part of me also says, oh, this is the future, right? I mean, it, it is all about the software at some point. You know, it's the product, it's the rest of the product too, but it's not an adjunct. It's maybe the core thing. So maybe we will see more of this. I mean, I don't want, want people to get fired, but if they don't do, you know, if their software sucks, their product's going to suck. We've been talking about companies becoming true software companies for a while and mm -hmm. yeah the folks at devops of course are big proponents of the whole idea but the question becomes if you're now really tying revenue goals to software delivery schedules it seems mm -hmm. to me that more organizations as they kind of wake up and discover that they are a something type of company that uh, makes software that happens to deliver a product or a service that we are going to see a lot more business execs held accountable, and that may put more pressure, of course, on the IT folks. So do you think investors in general are going to start evaluating or asking people, you know, what's your software development cycle look like? What's your churn rates? And maybe, you know, they'll start even looking at DevOps metrics and saying, hey, you're missing your metrics here, your KPIs, and it looks like you're going to miss your quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it's very much follows the... You know, all these things, DevOps and going to more incremental delivery of software and kind of what we saw during the pandemic of people doing accelerated digital transformation. Okay, like a lot of buzzwords there, but, you know, it, it it's it's to the point where you, you mentioned what I've been talking about is everybody says, well, we're not this, we're a tech company. Well, in a way, you have to be because if to compete, the theory is you have to be much better at been delivering software, both to be successful and also when, you know, you experiment or you, you fail, but you can recover quickly. You know, it's not about a six or 12 month delivery cycle. It might be, I need that out today or tomorrow or next week. So uh, if you believe software kind of rules the world or eats the world, going as eating the world, going back to Andreessen, yeah, 
It is. I mean, it's, I think it is a competitive advantage and it influences, if not informs or, or helps drive the strategy for the business. Ultimately, that's where it's going, I think. It also seems to me, though, that a lot of organizations are struggling with these digital business transformation initiatives. Mm -hmm. For every one that you see that looks great, the maybe there's 10 that are failures. And some of that just is people launch things for the heck of it post-COVID and they didn't really have a plan. And hopefully there's more uh, focus on those efforts. But it, every time you turn around, somebody is complaining about the lack of skills, especially on the tech side, whether it's DevOps, security, whatever it is. It seems like um, people are having a hard time getting people who understand tech and the business. Is that what they're looking for? Or are we looking for the perfect unicorn or, you know, do we need tech leaders to become more business savvy and maybe even business people become more tech savvy? And the shortage is just the fact that we have never actually crossed those barriers between those two groups. Well, I mean, speaking from personal experience, I think some degree we're a victim of our own stupidity, meaning I've seen more, more job ads that they're not a, just a purple unicorn. They're a purple unicorn that lives on Mars that knows how to time travel. <laughs> there is nobody in the world that has those 12 characteristics that you want 10 years of experience in for half the technologies that have been around for three or less years. So like, duh, you know, I, and I'm, I'm being real. I mean, I, I see that stuff. I saw that stuff. It's just, it's not real. The, the other is, you know, we're, ado we're adopting these things rather quickly, right? We're trying to transform to do DevOps or what other, uh, other things. You're not going to find, you know, 50,000 Kubernetes performance tuning experts in the world. You're going to have to develop it. You're going to have to hire some consultants or some experts to help inform your team. I mean, I, I go back to my one of my cloud migrations that I did about seven, eight years ago. You know, I hired someone I'd work with multiple times who had done containers and who had done microservices and had gone to the cloud. And but he wasn't a full-time employee. He was there to help us do the first move movements of getting there, right? And it's like anything, you've got to learn this new muscle training, this new skill set. And I couldn't hire people to do it. There weren't people that available to knew that. So I think the hiring shortage is also a people investment shortage. You know, we've got to grow talent. You're not going to go hire all these people that have the latest technologies for everything. And by the way, we're going to be the ones that are there are going to be really expensive. So it's not an easy problem to solve. But I think as leaders, we have to invest in people. And you can't worry about when they're going to leave because they're going to leave. Right. They're going to leave you at some point. It's not going to be 15 or 20 years from now. It may be two years from now, but that's, that's the game we play. That's to me, that's how you do it. Do you think therefore that everybody's kind of suffering from what I call George Steinbrenner syndrome and the New York Yankees <laughs> where, you know, they, they want to go spend the money to find these great players. And of course there is a salary cap, so you can only do so much. But they don't invest in the farm team, right? They're not bringing along the players of the next generation that they're going to build their core around and a, and a championship team. Mm -hmm. And is it that simple? And maybe we do need to just go back and say, hey, how are we going to build this farm team to win a championship, not in three months, but maybe, you know, two years? Yeah, think of it as a, a cycle, 
a continuous cycle, right? You're, you're building new talent, you're acquiring new talent, you're acquiring some senior talent and you want multi disciplined, but also multiple experienced teams, right? Cause you're going to have someone new show up on the scene that maybe has six or one year, 12 months of experience. Who's got the brilliant idea, right? They can see the problem without all the hindrance of knowledge, <laughs> so to speak, because they can look at it differently. And you get these brilliant things that happen from that, as well as learning from the seasoned veteran, you know, like how you do this at scale, right? You're not going to figure that out on, on your own in six months out of college. So it, it is, I think you've got to invest in this cycle of talent that you're bringing up. And, and, but the other part of it is it's not just investing, it's giving an opportunities to go work on these things. Like one of the things I try to do with people is, while you're interning here or while you're here, I'm going to try to create uh, experiences, opportunities that are going to help you continue to grow. Yeah, I need you to do some repetitive things. We all do that stuff. But I'll try to give you some exposure that's going to help you in your career because it helps us too in our business. But you've got to do that investment, I think. One of the areas that we're not seeing that investment clearly is in security. There's been a shortage in this space forever and a day, but I feel like it impacts digital transformation initiatives more so than anywhere else because uh, we are trying to balance a user experience against security. A lot of these processes are externally facing, whether they're to customers, partners, or wherever, but that makes them targets for the bad guys because they're like, oh, well, thank you for showing me where that is and how to manipulate it. Mm-hmm. How do we kind of strike that balance between security and the end user experience? Because, you know, there's this report out from HP talking about how organizations are still struggling with that. That in itself probably wasn't um, a new idea. But the report suggests that security people are uh, part of the conversation now more so than ever. What do you think? Well, I think they are. Um, you know, as end users, we will always opt for convenience, whether we're the customer, the employee, whoever, when it comes to security, right? You can show me a better way where I don't have to remember a password or I don't have to use one or I don't, whatever. I mean, they're, they're there to get a job done, not to be the security person. And while training is great, it's not the panacea for, for our problems. I, I think what you're talking about and maybe what that report is also identifying is you can't bolt on security just like you can't bolt on software into our products anymore. And that's the idea behind, you know, DevSecOps and shifting left. And just like we build design in quality, we build quality, sort of learning from manufacturing and lean manufacturing. That kind of a renaissance is sort of is trying to happen right now with security. And the challenge is security people don't know software architecture. You know, they you, you don't want you don't want them to. That's a whole nother skill. Just like, you know, a software engineer knowing about the latest ATP kind of attacks and you know all the different ways you have to protect against it. But it's in that that uh, multidisciplinary team and getting them work together. I think that's where that the hope is of trying to improve the security. Um, what I find interesting about this about that article too is, you know, this idea of taxing at increasing our product prices, right? Because of security. That's like, you know, we're adding a fuel surcharge to our products. 
now because we're because the price of fuel went up and now we're going to put a you know in this case a surcharge if you will will up our prices because of the cost of security because of our own failure and a breach and loss of data that's happened it's kind of ridiculous to me but also it again is the consumers are not holding the companies accountable you know i'm like i'm not going to bank there anymore because they keep having breaches i'm going to move over here well if we did all did that you know that would that would drive some behavior changes in the market but not enough of that happens so maybe it's just a cost of doing business yeah i think the end customer as long as you're the vendor is willing to absorb that cost they're fine with it but to your point you're highlighting a separate report from IBM that was published that said, we're essentially incurring a cyber tax now because of these security issues, the cost of breaches are measured in millions. And it's clear that the bottom line is not absorbing that. Companies are starting to pass that cost on to their end customers and investors are saying, you know, we're not going to give you a pass on your uh, revenue targets because you're at a security issue. We expect you to figure that out in your business model. But ultimately, let me ask you this: you know, if you add all this up, it seems like it's a billion dollar or more hit to the global domestic GDP product number or whatever that is. And yet, we don't seem to talk about security in that context yet. We're not really sitting around going, "Hey, guys, collectively, this thing is sapping." Uh, the economies around the world to the tune of, I don't know, let's just say multiple billion dollars. Um, is this sustainable and how come we're not screaming more about it? Yeah, it's a good question why we're not screaming about it more. I think it's, I think we're numb to it to some degree and the customers are numb to it also, breaches and all of that. What would be really interesting is if we could turn the conversation to we could be more competitive against our against the competition if we by investing in this security because that will you know speed us up not having to slow down we'll deal with breaches or improve our cost structure things like that if you could put that kind of a model together um you know and it and it passes the you know snip test by finance and executives maybe that's that's a way you can invest in more security i don't nobody's done that that i know of and i'm not sure there's we're far enough to know there's a compelling argument to do that, but maybe that's a hint of where we need to start thinking about how does improving security improve our our competitiveness in the market, as well as customer experience and things you mentioned earlier. Do you think if somebody at the IRS started figuring out how much of these costs are being written off by companies as cost of doing business, that they might be a little more aggressive about the whole conversation themselves? Because ultimately, the government doesn't see that revenue either. And if it's not revenue and it doesn't show up with profit, you can't tax it. So maybe governments around the world might have a more vested interest in this conversation than they think. Uh, you can you can argue, argue the other side of, well, those breaches fuel innovation. They cause companies to spend money on services and, and more security products and by cutting it back, and I'm not making this argument, but by cutting back all those attacks, now we're hurting the security industry. Um, so maybe we're addicted to our own breaches, right? And uh, as companies provide those security solutions, I'm being kind of sarcastic, well, very sarcastic here, I think. But maybe there's an element of truth to that. I, I think, Mike, your 
you're calling upon the better angels of the government to recognize a systemic problem that we should go address and, and resolve. Um, yeah, let me know how that goes, right? Is that the same? <laughs> uh, I, guess, I guess now I'm officially running for office, and here we go. The eternal um, optimist. <laughs> yeah. And, and to your point about the nature of the security industry, there is this sense of, uh, you know, fueling the problem, right? Because the security vendors go out and they discover vulnerabilities, and then they publish their research, and the people who read that most closely look like they're more of the cyber criminals than the good guys. And you know, about like you know, come uh, a week or two later, you start to see those exploits. Or you know, as one wag said to me, you know, Patch Tuesday is now followed by Exploit Wednesday. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, our, do we need a different approach to thinking about how we disclose these vulnerabilities if we want to? really drive digital processes around them well there's a whole economy of people disclosing those and getting paid to disclose them you know bug bounties and things like that and you know ethical or proper disclosure methods like informing them first letting them giving them the company a chance to fix it I, I don't know if we can stop that that you know treadmill or that process I, I think and take this a little bit of a different direction, Mike. I think there's the other thing that's, you know, iceberg below the surface here is we talk about the latest threat and the, you know, vulnerability Tuesday, you know, attack Wednesday. The other part of it is we issue these fixes and, you know, some percentage of them get fixed on mobile devices is a lot quicker because it's automatic. You're kind of forced to upgrade, but there are, Windows 98, NT systems, things that, you know, those, the technologies have been deprecated, right? There are no updates to that stuff anymore that are still out there running SCADA systems on a, you know, oil well or whatever it might be. Th that there is a landscape of very vulnerable devices that are still, you know, they're ready for it to be attacked and maybe used as a lateral platform to move forward to. I, I think that's, you know, like the IoT industry has had to kind of wake up to after we ship the product, we're going to actually need to update the software and we're going to need to figure out a way to do it automatically. That's kind of what we need to evolve to with any software we're delivering because those devices live out there a lot longer than the companies planned on their obsolescence. All right, folks. Well, you heard it here first. Once again, we have met the enemy and it's us. <laughs> All right. Hey, Mitch, thanks for being on the show. I really enjoyed it, Mike. Thanks again for having me. All right. Thank you all for listening to our show. You can find this episode and everything else we have on the Digital CXO website, where you'll find show notes with links to the stories we discussed today. And you can follow us on your favorite social media platform and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you all next time.